handle the truth. Should we or should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. Clearly, don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. Welcome everybody to episode whatever of the Righteous Prick Podcast. I'm your host, J.L. Covan. It is 9.03 a.m. on January 3rd in the year of our Lord 2022. Wow. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, early morning, I slept three hours yesterday, woke up, uh, read, watched a movie, went to mass, all before 9.30. And so last night I went to bed early and woke up early and uh, so now i'm where the normal person that's not a farmer or a night watchman uh, would probably be having lunch by now but i'm just sitting here with a cup of walnuts and a green tea ready to be nuked up as soon as we're done with this podcast uh, because it's new year same me the stats on 2021 were robust lost 60 pounds, although really uh, lost 40 pounds if you if you count the additional weight I put on until June of 2021. And then um, dropped 60 pounds. So our goals for this year are simple. Make our uh, uh, national dramatic TV debut. Oh, already did that. February, billions, showtime, be there or be somewhere else. Um, lose 25 more pounds, although as I start adding more and more muscle, that's going to become more and more difficult, you know, because muscle weighs more. And uh, as I get more jacked, you know, it might be harder to trim those LBs, but we'll try. We'll do our best. Uh, But, you know, that eight pack is going to add a little weight of its own. So we'll see what happens. Not afraid of becoming an arrogant douche bro in 2022. So, uh, (laughs) 2021, I think, arguably the worst year. Um, In 2020, uh, I lost my uncle and 
uh, made uh, had a career renaissance. Although, can you really call it a renaissance when your career was never alive to begin with? Um, it was sort of like a 16-year gestation period, a cicada, if you will, the cicada of comedy, and it came out in 2020. Um, so 2020 was a bad year overall, but but still had thick silver linings. But 2021 you know, was the most successful year of my comedy career other than 2020. So in perspective, it looks like that, but obviously it was a, a dip across the board from the highs of 2020. But I also, uh, you know, rec filmed a TV show, got cast and filmed a TV show. So that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, started doing live shows to incredibly disappointing audiences. Um, <laughs> recorded my first special. So 2022... Um, you know, I will finally, all shitting aside, all shitting, all shitting and kidding aside, um, hit my goal weight, uh, which was basically what I weighed in 2009, um, before the world of JL went to shit and, uh, mostly self-inflicted and that'll be good. That'll be good to get back. I mean, that's, that's, that's going to be 13 years, which is crazy to think. Like if you asked me when 2009 was, I was like, that's like six years ago, right? No. 13 years ago. Okay, cool. Death is coming quickly for us all. Um, what did Maximus saying gladiator, my favorite movie to inappropriately quote about my comedy career? Uh, uh, death smiles at us all something, something smile back. Uh, you know, whatever. Russell Crowe, peak Russell Crowe. Great movie. Go watch it if you haven't seen it. Um, and great Joaquin Phoenix also. Should have won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. All due respect to Mumbles Benicio Del Toro from Traffic. Uh, we'd be the best for, for, the, for the kids, for the kids. That's all I remember from Traffic. I remember um, the crackhead daughter of Michael Douglas, who eventually I found to be extremely hot until I found out she was hardcore Scientologist. Um, sorry, sorry, Scientology bigot over here. Um, what am I talking about? Traffic and then uh, uh, Gladiator. Yeah, Gladiator's so good. Such a good movie, everybody. There's a recommendation from 2000. Go check out Gladiator right away. Although I do want to talk about Ridley Scott a little bit later in this episode. Um, so losing weight, getting that special out. Um, between you guys, between my loyal uh, several hundred listeners of this podcast. Uh, I think next week I'm going to make a, I'm going to ask how much it would cost for me to buy out my special so that I have all the rights and they may just refuse that. But, um, you know, if, uh, as I've said before on this podcast, I, I, I feel less and less confident in my decision to violate one of my few solid rules in my comedy career, which is own everything because a special, I felt like this moment needed to be capitalized on the special itself is a fucking masterpiece. But part of me, um, just wants to own it. Um, and I only trust myself really to promote it and, uh, push it the right way. I, I am not feeling, uh, prioritized. I am not feeling like, 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 the people who made who filmed it know how good it is, but I feel like that that's having no bearing. Like this this special needs to come out in Black History Month for various reasons. It's called Half Blackface. It's 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 an examination of COVID, which is still raging. So my COVID material and my discussion of getting famous during COVID will be incredibly funny and incredibly relevant still. But the racial material, although timeless, couldn't have a better month than Black History Month to come out. On top of that, from a publicity standpoint, if I could package the special release 
within a, a few weeks of my appearance on Billions, now you have a force multiplier, which my career has never really had. My career has mostly been just isolated blips of success that never built any momentum. So if you look at my resume, you think this is a comedian of a lot of accomplishment, but when they're spaced over a decade plus, they don't build on each other. This is an opportunity to have two of the biggest things of my career build and reinforce each other through a publicity campaign. So next week, I don't know, I'll, I'll keep you guys updated, but I'm going to at least ask, like, what would the cost be to just buy it, to have, like, to, to buy you out uh, as a partner for this? And maybe that'll make them, you know, it, it just, I, I, I've got, anybody who listens to this show regularly knows my thinking. It was a very, um, it was a well thought out decision or, or deliberated decision to, to partner with somebody for this. Even though my instincts told me not to, not because of them, but because my instincts about this business always tell me not, not to give away anything because, um, more and more people in, in, in the comedy business are, bi are, are focused on the business, but not on the comedy. And I think it should be both. Um, I understand it's a business, it's a harsh business, but you want people who recognize when there's a moment for an artist and when maybe instead of saying, well, I was the 38th special recorded, so I will be the 38th special edited and released. Maybe you look and say, well, Jack Fuckface, his special could come out in January or April or, or fucking 2097. And it will not really matter in terms of uh, enhancing the marketability of the special. But when you have something of a timely nature where there's, yes, it can do all right at any time, but maybe, just maybe, it should be prioritized because Jack Fuckface can, can sell, uh, will, will make $10,000 regardless of when you sell it, but maybe JLs can make 100000 this month or seventy the next month. So you'd want to release it in the month where it could maximize. That's just my process, but I'm at least going to ask what it would cost for me to buy it out. Um, and unless it's just insane, I may I may do it unless unless that's just not possible. And you know you respect the contract you signed, of course. But if but if there is an ability to buy it out, I think I will because you know it just takes a little bit of time to 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 feel. Do they believe in this? Do they care about it as much as I do? And. I don't think that's it's even on the radar of the people on top of the, of the outfit. Uh, I know the person who filmed it uh, thinks very highly of it, but you know he is a, you know, he he's not the CEO. He's not the guy making all the decisions. So we'll see. Um, but that's coming out this year. So I'm gonna finally I'm gonna my weight's gonna go below 240 for the first time in 13 years, and then I'm gonna try and just stay there because I don't want to die. So, you know, it used to be go to the gym so you can kick people's asses and the opposite sex. And even, hey, hey, you're doing something right if both sexes are, excuse, <clears throat> excuse me, if the range of orientations and identifications find you attractive. But... um now it's just about life. It's just about continuing in existence. And that's, that's a worthy enough goal for fitness. It's not the favorite goal. It's not, you don't see any gyms 
um, advertising. Start your new year, get, get fit like this person so you don't die. No, it's get fit so this chick over here with the hard nips will fuck you in the gym locker room or at a, in the bathroom of a high-end club. It's never uh, don't want to end up on dialysis. Get your ass in the gym. But anyway, um, that's enough negativity. Let's start the year off positively. Um, I am going to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania this weekend against my better judgment. I've got N95 masks, bubble wrap, uh, bubble tape, bubble gum. Uh, I am going to be as protected and safe as possible while going to an area of the country that um, seems to not care that much. Uh, just Pennsylvania has had bad Delta numbers. Um, I'm triple vaxxed and I'll be wearing an N95 basically the entire trip except for when I'm on stage. I'm going to get my meals to go and eat in my hotel room. So I'm going to try and do this as safely as possible. Um, not try. I'm going to do this as safely as possible without just canceling the trip. But uh, shows at the Harrisburg Comedy Zone on Friday at 8 and Saturday at 8. And then I will run home and take a shower and take a Monday COVID test. But then we hit the real shit, and I am, it would be fitting, guys, you know this, trying not to be negative, but come on, let's, let's all be honest as a group. There would be nothing more J.L. Covan comedy career than taking six months to meticulously thread a trip on the right days that encompasses some of my biggest fan bases, Chicago, Southern California, Northern California, and Salt Lake City. And to weave those all together, in a show on a Thursday, a great night to have a show, right in between two jazz home games that I'm going to. So it's all, it's, it's all been woven perfectly. So we just have to collectively hope that nothing gets canceled and, uh, you know, that the shows uh, happen. Because, you know, it's a beautiful thing leading right up to the end of February, which will be my episode of Billions, me going to see Richard Marks uh, live in person, uh, you know, for the first time literally in two years since he became one of the big celebrities that helped amplify my my videos and my platforms. Um, so be nice to see him perform live and, and, and thank him and give him a hug or a handshake or, or whatever, and I'm sure he's going to be startled at how goddamn tall I am. Nobody's ever prepared for it. They all know it. But, you know, as Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And it's like everybody thinks they know how tall JL is until they're right up next to him and they realize you are a fucking monster. <laughs> And then that week uh, and February ends with my, my mother's birthday and me going to see Elton John perform at the Prudential Center. Those were righteous, righteous girlfriend uh, present, a birthday present in August. And, uh, you know, normally I wouldn't spend this much on tickets, but you know what? He's a legend. I canceled like six. I canceled like eight plays and concerts in 2020. I made some money. So I said, you know what? Eighth row. <laughs> floor level to see a uh an aging legend worth it not worth it but worth it enough uh <laughs> so Fe january february a big start to the year and then march 2nd knee surgery so it's really it's a whirlwind first quarter of 2022 and then it's it's exciting and nerve-wracking because whatever happens for those remaining nine and a half months of 2022 is a mystery 
Will uh, I get representation? Will the special be a hit? Will someone buy the special? Uh, will my, you know, will my knee surgery be a success? Will I get more bookings? Will uh, I get fired from my day job? Uh, so many questions, so many questions, good and bad, so much potential for, 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 for success and disaster in 2022. So I hope you'll join me on this magical journey, everybody. Um, speaking of the journey, more specifically, like I said, January 7th and 8th, Harrisburg, Pittsburgh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and then uh, January 27th, Chicago Improv, February 2nd, San Jose Improv, February 6th, Flappers in Burbank, California, February 10th, Jordan Landing in uh, Utah, just outside of Salt Lake City, headlining Wise Guys Comedy Club, right in between Utah Jazz home games. So hope to see you fans at one of those shows. If you are anywhere near the areas that I just mentioned, I hope uh, to see you at one of those shows. Um, and uh, it'll be fun. You know, I've already, I mean, I've already got like 15 new minutes since the taping of Half Blackface that are really crushing. So, um, you know, there's just, the, 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 the creative juices have not stopped. So that's a good thing. So you're seeing me, um, you know, against, against my judgment and uh, propensity to negativity, I am uh, just clicking on all cylinders comedically right now. So uh, it's a good time to get tickets to see me. Obviously, the more tickets I sell, the better that is, especially, you know, with, with these clubs. Utah, I'd like to go back to annually just because then I can like sort of combine it like, hey, it's my annual trip to see the jazz and perform for fans um, and have it be like a paid vacation. And then, you know, Chicago, San Jose are both in the improv chain, which is, you know, nice enough to, to book me. Uh, Pittsburgh was not a disaster, but obviously not a success. So the more tickets I could sell for Chicago and San Jose, the, the better that will reflect uh, on me for, for future bookings with the, you know, whether it's, you know, I have fans in a lot of places, but whether it's uh, Dallas, Albany, Florida, blah, 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 all these places, they all have improvs or funny bones that are connected to this chain. So the more people come out in San Jose and Chicago, the, the more I'll be able to travel. You'll be doing a good deed for all the fans who are in other cities with big comedy clubs because then that increases the likelihood I get booked there. And Flappers in Burbank is just, you know, that's the Southern California show. I know I have a lot of fans there. I just hope um, they all show up and then some uh, just because, just you know. Boom! It, it, it's it'll just be nice. Like that's that's an independent club, so it's not like oh no, I I flappers won't book me again. It's like okay, there's there's a million other clubs, but you know you just I'd like to have a strong showing because because I do have a lot of fans out there. So hopefully you guys uh, listening have gotten your tickets. And I think that's enough plugs. Oh yeah, one other thing: the long-awaited, whether it be on Patreon or Jemmy, I don't know because I think Jemmy may, I have to confirm this, but they may have converted as, as happens with many kind of internet startups, they may have converted their business model from sort of a Patreon to a website creation platform. And if that's the case, then I would be doing it on Patreon. But here it is exclusive for you guys first. I am putting the finishing touches on how I will produce this stuff, etc. But I am going to call my, my Patreon it's or paid content platform. JL, are you ready for this? I hope you're ready. 
JL Plus Prime Max. That's going to be the name of it. It's not going to be what yeah, we won't have to type that in, but all the all the the banners and the artwork will say JL Plus Prime Max. Um, and what that will basically be is three affordable tiers, you know, like we're talking three, five, seven, three bucks, five bucks, seven bucks. And here's what I plan on providing for you guys. I was thinking about this all weekend because I said I've been promising this for a while. I've been stressed and very busy, but this is the year. Because, and the reason, I'm not going to lie to you guys. You guys have been, who are listening, I consider you obviously top tier fans because most of you undoubtedly like my stand-up and even more likely my impressions and, and YouTube work. So I'm not trying to gouge you guys, which is part of the reason why I don't want anything above seven bucks. Um, obviously, the, the, the more critical mass of subscribers I get, the easier it gets to be affordable. So like, you know, if I have 85 subscribers, it's like, shit, this is a lot of work for 85 people. But if I, you know, if I were to click up to like, a thousand, which is admittedly very unlikely, but if I were to get to a thousand, then all of a sudden you're like, hey, a thousand, an average of five bucks. You know what? This is, this is actually a substantial, a good chunk of money. This is this is motivating me to to keep doing more. Um, and with the special, with billions, uh, with some tour dates, um, I am hoping uh, that those will become things where it's like, oh, okay, you know what, like. 150 of my fans signed up, but guess what? I'm now reaching thousands of more people and a couple of dozen are trickling in here from here or from there. And maybe by the end of 22, it grows into something big, or maybe it just ends up being, Hey, here, thank you for the extra cell phone and cable bill money. And I hope you enjoyed all the bonus stuff that I provided, but, uh, can no longer, uh, add a, another half a job to my resume right now. So, but we're going we're gonna to give it a, a real go. And what I plan on providing, roughly, this is a rough outline, subject, asterisk, subject to change, a monthly book club book review. And I've got a smoking jacket ready. So these are going to be real book review videos, humorous but also insightful. And then what I will do is basically each month I'll review a book and preview what book I will be reviewing the next month. So if you want to join, if you want to buy the book and join in with me or know what I'm talking about, then so be it. And if you don't want to read, but you're just interested in hearing me talk and be somewhat funny and somewhat erudite, then uh, you can do that too. Um, at least two, not at least, let's be honest, probably at most, two bonus podcast episodes of this, of the one you're listening to right now. But for those, I would, uh, I'm still working out, but I figure at least one of those, I think I should have a guest you know, something different so that it's, you hear me interacting. Um, could it be the long anticipated return of Mike Payne, AKA Panye West? I have to reach out to him, see how he's doing. And because, uh, for long time listeners of the show, before I brought it back, um, in 2020, he was, he was one of the, one of the best guests. We talked politics, comedy, culture, but it was just, he brought out the best in me, I felt like. He's, he's a dry, dry wit, funny guy, very, very well read. And it was just those were, those were always fun episodes. So that, and that might entice him if it's like something that's behind a paywall in case he's, you know, because the reason that I stopped having him on was not by my choice, but because his work was very sort of restrictive in terms of putting things out there. But that would be something very, uh, to old listeners, I know that might be something that, that would entice you. Um, 
and, and other guests, maybe some of the celebrities or, or just regular comedians. And, and cook, if you can't, if you can hear that, um, that's cookie drinking her water and it sounds disgusting. Um, by the way, January 1st, six years since I got cookie bear Covin. So that was fun. Um, here's to another 12 years at least. I hope cookie, I've, I've really come to appreciate cookie over the pandemic guys. Um, Cookie has always been a, a, a source of love and frustration for me. But I got to tell you, having a dog with a lot of personality is, is a real blessing. You know, she could, if she were an obedient, dull dog who just sort of, you know, it'd be fine. It'd be pleasant. But she's so expressive and she has such a range from terror to joy and everything in between. And, you know, just it's, it's, it's a real, it's, she's, she's really stepped up over, not, not intentionally. I don't think, I don't think any of this has been intentional on her part, but, uh, she has been uh, a real, just the same way I helped heal the nation with my comedy over the pandemic. Cookie has helped keep me maybe from going full Jack Nicholson in the shining. So thank you, Cookie. On behalf of Righteous Perk Nation, we thank you for your service. Um, there will be movie reviews, I would think at least two. Maybe I do a video movie review and an audio movie review. And, and I, when I say review, I mean maybe like a, hey, two movies reviewed via video, two movies reviewed ver- view, uh, via audio. So, and these would all be according to different platforms. But like I said, with the maximum being seven bucks. But here's, here are some of the big things. I would want a either monthly show, like a monthly Zoom stand-up show, or a monthly, or maybe to mix it up. I thought, you know, maybe one month it's a Zoom show, just stand-up. Here, come, you know, especially for all those people who are fans of mine who don't hear me, um, or who, who may never see me, whether you're in Australia or, or, or Guam or uh, just some shithole American city that I will never visit. Um, the point being, I still want you to be able to see and experience something of a live show. And I, I think because of the effort I put into the Zoom shows by putting up like a fake stand-up brick wall with lighting and plugging in a real microphone into my computer so I could pace and feel, I felt like I delivered the absolute best possible stand-up performance for Zoom because I kind of tried to create an environment where I was in my own headspace, like I was performing at a comedy club, albeit one that was silent. But um, so one month might be that. One month might be a inspired by my friend Pete Dominic, like he does weekly, uh, like happy hour hangouts with with his supporters and fans. So maybe one month could be that. One month could be I thought just it popped into my head like a trivia run by Mike Lindell or something, you know, one of my, and I already thought like we could call it Patriot games. Um, and I just form like a trivia contest host, you know, it's like an hour and you have a winner or whatever, just various things that might just be a sort of thank you and a get to know you and, uh, um, you know, just a fun thing, um, for, for, for your support and pay and something that would be, uh, unique, um, so, so you get what I'm saying there. That would obviously be at the higher tier. You'd have to be joining at the $7 level to get access to that. But I think that would be well worth it, especially when you're getting everything else. And then, of course, there's the exclusive video content. Now, what I would think is, as I'm in the process of writing a bunch of sketches that I will hopefully be filming in March if my knee recovers, filming in March and April, but I have 10 sketches, uh, a preview of one. I trust you guys listening, but one will be 
a little tricky to film because you're just going to have to find somebody's house and shit. But basically a reboot of The Exorcist where instead of Father Marin, it would be me as Joel Osteen coming to do The Exorcism. And of course, grifting and deals with Satan would uh, follow. But that's that's the kind of stuff like I'm talking SNL mad TV level shit that I plan on filming in the spring. So I might, you know, once a month early access to a video for, for, for Patreon people, but also exclusive videos. And the first thing I've already thought of is a possible web series. Um, I did a couple of gaming videos as Donald Trump that were very popular. Um, you know, like Twitch style where I'm like, there's a screen of me doing commentary as I play the video game as Trump. Those are some of my best Trump videos. Go check out Call of Duty or The Last of Us 2. If, if, you're, uh, if, you, if that intrigues you and you haven't seen them, you can just Google. I think they're both on Trump the Internet or at least the Call of Duty one is. But if you just Google J.O. Covan, Call of Duty, J.O. Covan, The Last of Us 2, those videos should pop up. And... So I thought, well, what would be funny in addition to, yes, some of my regular sketch videos, some of my just traditional Trump videos giving you early access, like the exclusive videos would include a web series I just thought of, Gaming with Mike Pence. So I know people love the Mike Pence podcast, and maybe I can bring that back as well. But Gaming, spelled G-A-Y-M-I-N-G, with Mike Pence, would be Mike Pence playing video games. So um, that's just one idea. But the, the whole point is, when this gets up and running, either this month or next month, what you'd be looking at, at a rate of 3 5 or $7, would be all of that. Bonus podcasts, book reviews show, movie review show, live shows, or, and or interactive experiences once a month and uh, exclusive videos and early access to videos, both. you know. So there'd be some that everybody would see, but you'd see it first. Then there'd be some videos that would only be available to the Patreon, like Gaming with Mike Pence. Um, I, The Righteous Girlfriend was sort of disturbed by how loudly I was laughing at my own idea of Gaming with Mike Pence. Um, but I hope you're laughing too at that idea. So the point is, JL plus Prime Max coming this winter to the internet near you. So I'm excited for that. If you are, great. I hope you will sign up at some level um, when I announce it. And uh, yeah, I guess that's, that's all the plugs. I hope I made the plugs mildly entertaining because it was shameless. That's for sure. Not afraid of grifting while providing Mega Max Plus Prime content. Um, and by the way, I look to see if Ron Reagan Jr. is on Cameo. Um, he's not. Because all I really want is Ron Reagan Jr. to, to do an audio clip for this show. I would pay above and beyond just to have him go, Righteous Prick Podcast not afraid of killing his own career. Uh, maybe I can get Ron Reagan on the podcast. Wouldn't that be a wouldn't that be a delightful bonus treat sometime in 2022 if I could just reach out to Ron Reagan's people and get into a talk about his parents about atheism um and 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 then uh, sort of joke with him uh about why do you come off uh I find it hilarious but you have the kind of voice where no one can tell if you're being sarcastic or not. Um, so there, boom, there's everything. 
Uh, I got a lot of stuff to review, folks. Let me just uh, cross off the list. I, I, I don't make a list often, but when I do, it's Dos Equis. Um We got that. We talked about JL Plus Prime Max. Uh, oh, and I've started... Uh, um, uh, the first book I may review is um, The Dead Are Arising by Les Payne. Um, so far, I'm... About a fourth through it, hoping to have it done after my trip to Harrisburg, since I'll have some some downtime, some train rides with a N95 mask covering me. Um, it's 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 a it's a new biography, relatively new. It's now on paperback, but it won the Pulitzer and the National Book Award. That's not something a lot of books do, and uh, it's it's. Let me tell you, it, it, the, the writing quality is sort of what stands out to me. Uh, I've never read the autobiography of Malcolm X. I did, as I alluded to um, on a previous podcast, read the uh, acclaimed book by Manning Marable from, I, th- I want to say, 2010. I did read that. But this one, the, the prose is, is quite lovely. Um, and it, it's just, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good read so far, but dense with uh, information, which is a great combo because sometimes... Books that are so chock full of info and stuff can come, sometimes come uh, come off like reports, um, but it's it's so good right now. And for anybody out there who who's listening who's a fan of Watchmen, um, the first chapter of the book because Malcolm was born in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, and it details like an early 1920s, basically you know race riot massacre lynching in Omaha. That is that is. It may not. It, it did not have the casualty numbers of of the Tulsa, the Tulsa massacre, but it could make its own fucking pilot episode of a new series of Watchmen. It it was the the it was gut wrenching and brutal and really upsetting to read. But it's sort of setting the stage for like this is the city that Malcolm's family had moved into. Um, but so far, I'm loving the book, so that will probably be the first book I review. I may um, just do a review of Alpha as well, if I'm so inclined, just because that was my favorite book of 2021. Um, incre- just an incredible book is all I'm going to say about that. But um, yeah, so far, I'm liking this, so uh, that would be that. Uh, let's talk about a lot of the stuff I've watched, folks. I've watched a lot of stuff recently. It was Having a couple of three-day weekends was nice because um, I complained about it last week, about the mindset that sort of occurs with all this content. You're like, oh, my God, i got to watch everything. Oh, my God. But I did clear a lot of content in the last 10 days, which is good because now I'm back to rise and grind, bro. Podcast, comedy, law, work, sleep. Never stops. Got to hit the gym, bro, also. Anyway, watched a lot of shit, okay? Now, the first thing that I finished was Zach Stone is going to be famous. Now, if you don't know what this is, this was recommended to me of all, by all people, uh, Jay Nog. And I can't remember if a uh, friend of the show, friend in real life, Chris Lamberth, also recommended it to me. But I was trying to think who recommended it to me. And it, and it was definitely, Jay Nog definitely recommended it to me. That if you don't know Jay, he is my co-host for um, Making Podcasts Great Again, which you should also be checking out and enjoying. Um, we'll be doing a special live episode for January 6th this week for our Patreon people. Anyway, Zach Stone is going to be famous. Uh, was a show from 2013. It lasted one season. Uh, it was just put up on Netflix. And it wouldn't surprise me 
Uh, and I saw Bo Burnham promoting it on Twitter and or Facebook. But it wouldn't surprise me if given Bo Burnham's sort of superstardom and the success of Inside, his 2021 special, my, right there with Alpha as one of my winners of 2021 Best Stuff, um, he, it wouldn't surprise me if they were going to like do a... a, a a 10 year revisit, you know, to, to Zach Stone is going to be famous because now he's just, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a borderline a lister now, given his resume of, of writing, directing and comedy work. Um, not to mention acting. He was in promising young woman, which is, uh, which was one of my two favorite movies from 2020. So if you haven't seen that yet, I believe it's on HBO max. I, that movie blew me away for real. Uh, it was amazing. I was, I was, just that's all I'll say about that. Um, but Zach Stone is going to be famous. I'm watching this show and it only got one season. And I was thinking to myself as I was watching it, as I'm wont to do, oh, I was in, I was laughing out loud. I would even watch some episodes with coffee in the morning and just be, I was la like, in the words of Ron Burgundy and Anchorman, we are laughing, but I was really laughing hard at it. And what I realized about Bo Burnham, I mean, he was like 21 or 22 making that show. He really is, he really is a generational comedic talent. Now, I'd like to think I am that as well, and I think you know I think very highly of my stuff, but I think I've gotten good because I had good, a good brain and good comedy instincts, but it took me years to really get, you know, every time I thought I was good, I would hit a new level and go, oh, I was just okay back then. Like, as I've said before, for you who have not heard my comedy history, 2013 is the year, oddly enough, the year Zach Stone is going to be famous came out. 2013 is the year when I put out uh, the Louis C.K. Uh, viral video, which for me marked a, in a weird way, a, a moment of despair, but also freedom for my comedy career because I was done giving a shit. I was ready to sort of give up mentally, but I wasn't ready to give up putting out things I thought were funny. So there was a real, you know, nothing left to lose kind of attitude that I had attained uh, that made that video so polarizing, but also so popular and so good. And I also put out that year, Keep My Enemies Closer, which was the, is the album. I always say I'm proud of all my albums. I've, I've listened to all my albums years later to kind of check in and see, were they, was this good? Was this funny? Or was I just like good for the time, but now it sucks. I am very proud of every single one of my albums. But Keep My Enemies Closer for me marked a, a new level, that I had hit a new level, both in comedy skill and not giving a fuckness. Um, and I do believe Half Blackface is, is the is Thoughts and Prayers in 2018, I thought was, it was just an accomplishment to, to hit the same level, if not a little better than Keep My Enemies Closer. But Half Blackface is, is the next level. And it's a good feeling to just, but what, my point is, Though I think highly of my skills, my work, and my, my, what I produce, Bo Burnham to me just strikes me as a, you know, a, a prodigy, a, mo a comedy Mozart uh, in terms of how his sensibility was so formed and he was obviously so smart um, at such a young age because it really evokes so much of the same sensibility that comes through on inside. And you wouldn't expect that from a, you know, he's more technically proficient. He's more gifted in terms of his know-how. But the sense of humor was really, maybe not fully formed, but 
pretty damn close at a, at a very young age. And, and the show holds up. He has one moment where he's trying to become, you know, each episode he's, he gets some harebrained idea of how he's going to become a viral star and, and become famous. And one of the, the ideas was regarding music. And he says a thing, and mind you, this is 2013. He goes, people used to buy albums, and now they buy songs, you know, like, like, like they don't even buy the album. They just buy this, their favorite song. And I think the future is going to be people just wanting to listen to their favorite part of their favorite song. And so he's doing like ringtones with his music that are only like 15 seconds. And I'm going, that's what, four years before TikTok even becomes a thing? And then seven years before it becomes a big thing? And I just thought to myself, I was like, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. Like, I know it's just one point, but I just thought he's parodying something that will come to pass. Like he was parodying an idea that had not yet come to fruition. And that's just one example of what I think, you know, and it's, it's very hard for me to, 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 to seed anything to another comedian, but he is, he is a, he is a real, um, incredibly rare talent. And I think Zach Stone is going to be famous is, is, is something that, that, that really highlights that to a, to an incredible degree when you consider it was eight years ago already. Um, nine sometime, you know, sometime this year, it'll be nine years old whenever it came out. Um, so that was the first thing I watched and, and, and loved that. Then I watched Tick, Tick, Boom, starring the Man of the Year, Andrew Garfield, who was in the new Spider-Man. I think you know how I feel about that. And also in another movie I watched this weekend called The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which we'll get to in a second. But Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, I am fascinated by the story because I didn't know that the guy who created Rent uh, died of an, an what was it, an aortic aneurysm at 35. Now, he seemed under an incredible amount of stress and pressure, um, mostly self-imposed. But obviously, Rent is considered, rightfully so, one of those seminal Broadway musicals that kind of shifts and changes what's possible, what, you know, it was more of a rock kind of show. I enjoyed it. I, I went with my college girlfriend. She had, she was much like Hamilton. She had had the soundtrack before she ever saw Rent. And then we went to see Rent when she visited me in the city. And uh, very good, very, very good show. I'm always a fan really of like, other songs on the album like that, that that like that song is like the kind of big song but there were other songs that i enjoyed a lot more on the soundtrack um and then of course team america parody that's the true sign of of cultural relevance is when south park creators in team america parodied rent with a with a play called lease and the lyrics of the song are everyone has aids and when we talk biggest laughs of my life, uh, probably two of them at least are in the movie Team America. And one of those la constant laughs was during the first several times I saw Team America and watched uh, the Rent parody. But the point being... <laughs> This guy was producing stuff and, um, you know, hustling and, and feeling despair because some of his idols had made it before they were 30. Stephen Sondheim, oddly enough, played by a friend of this podcast, social media friend of this podcaster, Emmy winner Bradley Whitford, uh, who went to Wesleyan. And I almost tweeted a joke, but I said, you know what, I don't, 
even though he seems to have a good sense of humor, he might this might rub him the wrong way, so I didn't. But I was going to say, well, look at that. They got a Wesleyan graduate to play Williams College icon Stephen Sondheim in Tick, Tick, Boom. And lo and behold, a few months later, Sondheim dies. I guess he really didn't want anybody from Wesleyan playing him in a movie. Now, I thought that's very dark humor, but I didn't want to put it out there for, for Mr. Whitford to, you know, you know, he, as a theater guy, as an actor, um, as an opportunity to play a legend like Stephen Sondheim, he might, you know, not take that um, as a joke, or he might not find it funny. So I just opted to just tell the, the 700 of you. Um, but Tick, Tick, Boom, I was fascinated by the story because he dies like the night before rent opens. So he doesn't even know if it's going to be what it, what it's going to become. And I'm sure even he may not have envisioned it becoming exactly what it became. The phenomenon, you know, Pulitzer prize, uh, uh, whatever, 15 years on Broadway or whatever it was like, it was, it, you know, Tony winner, Pulitzer winner. Like he, he did basically what Lin-Manuel Miranda did, um, but died right before it happened. <laughs> Which, of course, if you know me, is a sort of fascinating idea. Um, not that I'm, I'm, wish, I'm hoping for a long, healthy life, but I, you know, the righteous girlfriend kind of gave me a look when I said, oh, that really resonates with me. Now, I just meant working your ass off and not being appreciated for it, but she took it as more macabre, meaning, yeah, I'm afraid like half blackface will come out, I'll croak, and then it will win the Grammy and Emmy for best comedy performance of 2021. <laughs> See, folks, that's what I'm talking about. Sure, there's a real negativity surrounding everything I say and do. But at its core, underneath that avocado of misery is a, is a, is a nut or whatever, a seed of optimism that, that endures somehow. So, so even in my uh, weird fantasy of dying before I get success... I still get success in a way. Um, and, it, you know, as I, as I have often quoted, uh, not in this podcast, but in real life, my, you know, one of the great quotes of Johnny Depp's acting career is from Pirates of the Caribbean. You're the worst pirate I've ever heard of. But you have heard of me. And which is kind of an ethos of our entire entertainment ecosystem now, right? Like just, hey, it's, I'm, I'm actually trying to be famous. Like Zach Stone is going to be famous is also incredibly prescient in terms of the doesn't matter what you're getting famous for, just make the goal to be famous. So um, Tick, Tick, Boom, I thought was, a, was, was an interesting story. I didn't realize then. I thought it was just a, a made from whole cloth Bio biographical musical, but it actually was something Jonathan Larson uh, wrote, like an autobiographical music, autobiographical music, he, musical he wrote before writing Rent. So this kind of was almost like the after Rent became a phenomenon, it was like this thing got a new life, where it was like, oh, he also did this. Let's check this out. Um, but obviously, Rent is still his standard bearer. But um, Tick, Tick, Boom, uh, impressive effort. I felt like it was a movie to showcase that Andrew Garfield is incredibly talented. Um, only five foot ten, Andrew Garfield, which was surprising because he looks so tall because he has a nine inch, uh, a nine, no, not, he has like a foot long neck. So if he had a normal neck, he'd be like a tiny actor. I just assumed he was like six two. But he has this ostrich neck on this otherwise, I guess, tiny actor body. But didn't know he could sing so well. 
Um, he's he's a he's a good actor. I always thought he was the best. I always found his performance in Social Network to be the best. Although uh, I know we're canceling Cannibals right now, but Army Hammer I also thought was fucking phenomenal in that movie. Um, Social Network is just it's just amazing. It's such an amazing movie. It's going to be the. I am convinced that of the 2020s. And I had a third movie that's escaping me right now. But of the 2010s, excuse me, two of the three movies, and I'm forgetting the third, but maybe Joker. I may have included Joker. Um, But the two movies for sure, I think, that will define that decade, neither one won Best Picture, though they were both nominated. But in time, I believe The Social Network and Get Out will be the two movies that people look back to that decade and go, these were the two defining movies. Because... They were so well done, so creative, and so forward-looking, and also backward. Like they—they're just. I just think those are the two. And then Joker, for everybody shitting on it, that like you know, uh, didn't like Todd Phillips' comments on comedy. Joker. I mean, say what you will. The movie made a fucking billion dollars, nominated for ten Oscars, won two Oscars, and kind of creepy that it comes out, you know, like a year and a few months before the January 6th riot. I mean, you know, I'm just saying it, it's a pretty damn strong movie in terms of both its execution and also what it kind of said correctly, whether people wanted to believe it or not, what it said about America was, was, was rather strong for, for a comic book movie. So I think those three movies, um, I'm sure there's indie movies I'm ignoring, but I, I think there's a strong case for those three movies kind of defining the, the 2010 to 2019 decade. Anywho, um, Tick, Tick, Boom, uh, I thought was fine. I wasn't unhappy I watched it, but I, I, it wasn't as great as I'd hoped, to be honest. But, but, but. We're going to get a little gross here in a nice, funny way. But it did allow me to discover Vanessa Hudgens. Hello. Um, I was like, who is this beautiful woman in this movie who's really bringing a lot of musical theater pep to this to this production? And the righteous girlfriend was like, I think that's Vanessa Hudgens. And I was like, oh, Van- I've heard that name. And I was like, is she one of the Disney, like one of those Disney people? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, well, let me tell you something. She is quite quite fetching and uh, really bringing the goods to this production. Um, And I thought, perfect timing, Vanessa Hudgens, because uh, unfortunately, after a wonderful six-year run, um, there is a a vacancy in my Disney kids grown up into talented beauties that I want to put on my list for a possible um, affair when I become an A-lister. Because I'm sad to announce that Demi Lovato, who, um, you know, has just gone too far in the Oswald Cobblepot from Batman Returns range in terms of her appearance. I I was, you know, I was all down with her her pansexuality because I was like, hey, that still includes me. I'm in pan. JL uh, is in the pan's labyrinth that constitutes everyone since pansexual is like I'm attracted to all human beings. Uh, I was like, well, I'm a human being, so no problem there. And then she got this very hot, like punk rock haircut. Like it looked like it probably cost her $20,000, but it was like, it was like in that androgynous, like, how do I identify? I don't know, but it was actually hot before she got the same haircut as the owner of the Raiders. Um, and she's continued to eat cake. 
and which I'm, you know, I'm a fan of cake, obviously, but, um, you know, this, this, this one-way romance with me and Demi Lovato began in 2015 when The Righteous Girlfriend insisted that we watch, you know, the MTV Awards or the Grammys or something. I was like, I don't watch that shit. I don't know what's out in music. And then I saw, um, as I've alluded to on previous episodes, uh, a woman that can only be described as looking like a young Latina Demi Moore, fully, fully, coming fully w- equipped with the short haircut and uh, the pipes of uh, an incredible singer. And I said, uh, who's that? And it was like, that's Demi Lovato. And I was like, well, she is cool for the summer and I'm hot under the collar. And from there began a deep appreciation of, of Demi Lovato. And, uh, you know, she's just, uh, she's tested my patience too much. You know, I was, you know, whatever sexuality journey you're on, I'm here for it. Uh, whatever, uh, look you're looking for, but you know what, when you get the same haircut as the Los Angeles Raiders, uh, the, oh, I'm sorry, the Ve- the Las Vegas Raiders owner, look them up. You'll have a laugh. Um, and you're rocking that Danny DeVito and Batman returns body, you know, congratulations on finding your truth. But, um, my truth is that I need to move on. So I'm sorry. I'm here announcing publicly that my, uh, my breakup with Demi Lovato is complete. I will still listen to her music and, and, and wish her well. Uh, hopefully, hopefully we can remain friends. I think we can. Um, but Vanessa Hudgens has, has uh, taken that title uh, with authority, with her cheekbones and lips and voice and musical theater pep in Tick, Tick, Boom. It was more like Dick, Dick, Go, Boom when I saw her. Okay, that was vulgar and gross, but still kind of funny. So congratulations, Vanessa Hudgens. Now, I'm not going to lie, Vanessa, you're sort of a rebound. I don't feel the same way I feel about 2015 Demi Lovato. I mean, that Demi Lovato 2015 was, was entering rare air that was really only occupied by early 90s Demi Moore and, uh, you know, Michael Jordan jersey dress Mariah Carey. So <laughs> that, just to be in that company is is an incredible thing and Vanessa you would be fucking nuts no offense but you would be out of your mind to think you could jump to that level but there's room for growth there's there's an opportunity for us to get to know each other and and for you to uh um you know get to a higher status but like don't don't set your expectations that oh I'm going to be cool for the summer level no I don't know if anybody uh, is on the horizon who's going to get to the cool for the summer Demi Lovato level. But we wish Demi the best. We look forward to a creepy, um, somewhat misogynistic one-way relationship with Vanessa Hudgens on this podcast. And, um, you know, in the words of Donald Trump, we'll see, oh, you know what, we'll see what happens. Let's, you know, we call it, we'll see what happens. You ever heard this phrase? Well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to see what happens. So tick, tick, boom. Um, the, the two revelations were Andrew Garfield as a musical theater talent and Vanessa Hudgens as the new Disney teen grown up to be uh, hot, talented lady for JL's podcast. <laughs> so that's my review of Tick, Tick, Boom. Didn't really get into the movie too much, but yeah, there you go. Okay, then we get to the high point, folks. We get to the gosh darn high point of the weekend. For Cookies Cookout, which is what we dub January 1st every year, we, we have some chili um, we, we give Cookie a toy or a treat, a special toy or treat. Um, we 
are extra nice to her. She probably doesn't understand. And then we decided this week, you know what, let's watch a dog-themed movie. So we put in Cruella, which has been on the Disney Plus queue for a while. And, um, you know, I just thought, yeah, let's watch it. You know, it's, it's, uh, I, I didn't even know what the reviews were. I was like, I think people have been positive about it. But I didn't hear a ton of buzz. And then I'm watching this movie. And it starts off poorly for me. Because obviously, if you don't know, Cruella de Vil is the, uh, one, of, one of the iconic villains of, in the Disney universe. Uh, she was, you know, looking to murder a bunch of Dalmatians and make coats out of them. Um, pretty harsh, pretty harsh uh, villain. And she, uh, in this movie, is played by Emma Stone. But before Emma Stone shows up, the, you know, the opening, the sort of villain origin story, we see Emma Stone, we see Cruella's mom get murdered, basically, by three Dalmatians who, who bark and paw her over a cliff. Now, I immediately took to Twitter and was like, this is horseshit. Because to me, and my joke was, my joke was, what's next? A Lion King prequel where we find out Mufasa was calling um, Scar, you know, uh, where he outed Scar as gay in high school and like tormented him. You know, because then all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, it turns out that's like a Cobra Kai idea almost. Like, oh, the bully was also being mistreated. And it turns out the good guy wasn't always the good guy or did some things that weren't great either. But haven't watched Cobra Kai season four yet. Um, it's not a priority for me simply because I loved one and two, which I watched on YouTube, unlike a lot of you fucking Johnny-come-lately posers. I watched them on YouTube when they were recommended, and I loved seasons one and two. Loved. I thought they should have been – I thought season one – should have been nominated for Best Comedy, and that William Zabka should have been nominated for Best Lead Actor in a Comedy. I've been on that. I've been saying that for a couple of years now. But season three, the first one produced by Netflix, I thought was significantly weaker. I felt like they put too much focus on the kids when the humor and heart and center of the show should and always be Johnny Lawrence because of how good seasons one and two were focused on him. That's my quick take on Cobra Kai. I will watch season four. I'm not done with the show, but season three I found to be a very significant drop-off from the high quality of one and two. That's just my take. Anyway, we uh, so I'm, 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 as I'm watching Corell, I, I tweet out that, and I'm like, you know, in my head I was like thinking of like what, what other villains' stories will like fuck up the cartoons we loved. It's like, oh, in Aladdin, actually – um, you know, Princess Jasmine's father had teamed up with the U.S. Army to bomb Muf uh, Jafar's village. And that's why he's such a dick. And it's like, well, OK, that now you've kind of ruined Aladdin. If that's his backstory, if he's like, you know, a freedom fighter who's mad at like the U.S. Uh, and the king of Agrabah destroying his village as a child. Well, then you're like, well, no wonder he's a fucking angry dick. You know, like what would other, what would other be like, like it turns out Ursula was raped by Ariel's dad back in the day. You'd be like, oh, well, no wonder she wants to fucking take her voice and ruin her life. Like that explains why Ursula is eating her feelings and really miserable hanging out at the bottom of the ocean, trying to destroy other people's lives. Like the king, you know, sodomized her with his trident in the prequel to the little mermaid. Well, now you've ruined the little mermaid because now the villain is really, you know, much more too justified. You 
can ha give a, an origin story that doesn't fully justify, but I'm like, well, once Cruella saw her, her mom murdered by three Dalmatians, I'd be like, yeah, I'd fucking make coats. She, I'd be starting the Cruella Mike Vick dog ring featuring exclusively Dalmatians fighting. So that said, I was watching uh, Cruella and it got me off to a very rough start because I was like, that's too much. You went too far. You could have had Dalmatians like, like a, a schoolmate bullying her with Dalmatians so that she doesn't like Dalmatians, but that she's gone too far. But if Dalmatians murdered your mom, you might want to kill a couple. Let's just be honest, guys. You might want to kill a couple of Dalmatians. It wouldn't make it right, but you'd be like, no, nah, I get it. You know, she fucking, these Dalmatians murdered her mom. So like if she puts a bullet in one Dalmatian's head, they're already ornery, unpleasant dogs. 101 Dalmatians actually kind of, kind of, kind of soften the reputation of Dalmatians who are generally known as ornery dogs. Um, you know, D Dalmatians, by the way, great PR by getting 101 Dalmatians because everybody I've ever talked to is like, Dalmatians are kind of dicks, but they got a great publicist who got them featured in a Disney movie called 101 Dalmatians. And ever since it's like, oh, Dalmatians, oh, no, he bit my hand off and like spit on me. But you know, he's pretty cool because in the movies and Dalmatians, um, <laughs> Well, from that moment on, folks, after about the 15-minute mark, Cruella is an absolutely excellent movie. First of all, Disney did not spare in the soundtrack department. I mean, it is just an A-list soundtrack. But Emma Stone, solid. The two guys, one of them's from Game of Thrones, the other one is the guy who played uh, Sean Eckhart in I, Tanya, which I stand behind my thought that he should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor for that role. And he's done a lot of things. I forget, he's got like a hillbilly kind of name, but he's this chubby guy. You've seen him in several movies by now. He was in Black Klansman. He was in uh, um, uh, Richard Jewell. He played Richard Jewell in Richard Jewell. Um, you know, just, just uh, they're both great. And Emma Thompson incredible comedic villain performance like takes that devil wears prada vibe up like three levels but this movie is fucking great cruella i, I legitimately think it's a great movie i was so impressed and i think the director i'm now going to watch the great because i was told he wrote the writer of cruella is the guy who wrote the favorite which which won um uh, what's her name an oscar the chick who was also on The Crown this past year as Elizabeth, Olivia Coleman. He wrote The Favorite and he wrote uh, The Great, which is on Hulu, which I'm now going to prioritize watching. Um, it's been on my list for like a year because I've heard good things about it, but I never bothered to watch it. But now I'm like, but Cruella, I think this movie is directed incredibly. Like, I'm, I'm of the opinion, Nick, I know when the Oscars announce Best Director, it's going to be like, um... Jane Campion for The Power of the Dog and Some Lady for a Boring Indie Movie and Paul Thomas Anderson for the art house indie titled Licorice Pizza and some other shit that was filmed in three weeks in a basement somewhere. And the two movies I look at this year that I'm like, I thought were amazing, like, no Time to Die, the James Bond movie, which was, I think, di directed by, I've got his name wrong, but like Kerry Fugajima or, or something of close to that. Um, incredible. I, I just, it's, I thought the Bond movie, the last Bond movie was, was awesome. And directing that is a fucking ambitious like endeavor. Like, I feel like it's always directors doing like these small movies or these epic war movies, but like a traditional action movie that is 
full of stuff like that. Why doesn't that get more credit? And he's he's a respected director. You know, he won the Emmy for for true direct, true detective directing. So he's somebody. He's an award winning director. But you know, the Bond movie will never get its its due as like a a, a impressive feat of of direction. And then I watched Cruella, and I was like, this movie is so 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 put together so well. I was just very impressed with Cruella. So after that one little hiccup. Uh, I thought it was amazing. And I'm glad I got to do the, uh, you know, some other alternate prequels. Um, I might take that to the stage with me. Um, maybe not. Maybe it's just for you guys. But hopefully you're enjoying this episode because I think it's a fucking banger to start the uh, the new year. So Cruella, we hit the high point content-wise for the weekend. Although Zach Stone also right up there. But I only just finished Zach Stone this weekend. I didn't watch the entire thing. Then I watched The Humans. I had seen this play a few years ago on Broadway. I think it won the Tony for Best Drama. Very well-regarded play. Um, Righteous Girlfriend was reminding me that she didn't like the play that much. Um, I guess we sort of both didn't, but I, it, it sort of went in one ear and out the other. You know, I saw it because it was like well-reviewed and acclaimed and won some awards. But the movie was a total waste of my time. And that's not even to say it was bad or it was, but my God, what a waste of an hour and 50 minutes. I was so, like about halfway through, I was like, well, we're halfway through, but what the fuck? And then I was like, I just want to, I can't remember the twist. I know like a lot of these plays, there's always some big dramatic, like I murdered your sister when you were a baby and I have to get it off my chest. There's always something like that. And, and whenever a drama is just humming along and nothing's happening, Playwrights love to be like, I'm going to make a play that for a hundred pages, nothing happens. And it's just brilliant dialogue and lighting and, and the craft of acting. And then on page 103, before the curtain goes down, he's going to say, I murdered your mother. And, and, oh my God, powerful, powerful. Give us the Tony. Give us the goddamn Tony. So it's, it feels kind of, it's kind of like one of those plays. And, uh, we were both just like, fuck, with all the shit we have to watch. And it was, it was even rougher coming after Cruella because Cruella was such a, yeah, we'll watch this. And, and, and by the end, I was like, I just kept saying, this fucking movie's awesome. So that was a, an extra letdown to then watch The Humans, which, of course, the critics loved. It got, I think, very good reviews from various sources. Oh, it's so powerful. It's such a powerful work by the director. And the director... He, he made the, the strong choice to just zoom the camera for 15 minutes on this scene and then pan the table in a circle, in a very slow circle for the next 15 minutes. Oh, the minimalist direction of Sven von Fiesensoffen or whoever the fuck directed this movie. So brilliant. So, so, such a unique gift and choice to make this boring movie even more boring. And I think he just set the camera on Zoom for 15 minutes because then he could go get a sandwich. Amazing direction. Um, and then the final movie of the weekend was The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which came recommended from a few people. Um, Certainly, uh, it was helped by the fact that the movie I saw right before it was The Humans, which is available on Showtime on demand. They have like a deal with uh, A24 Studios. But um, Eyes of Tammy Faye, I just, you know, it was it was fine. Like it, it felt like a very just like we're going by the book. We're just telling this. Like it, it was 
you know, it's, it's produced by Jessica Chastain. So it felt like that Oscar bait showcase for her, which it is. She's, but I've always thought she's a very good actress. Um, very beautiful, very good actress. Um, and, uh, you know, Andrew Garfield is also in this one and they're, they're good. They're both good. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's somewhat entertaining, but I just, I, you know, other, other than like, look, the Christians are weird and, and hypocritical business people. Other than that, it was just like, yeah, but this didn't, didn't really do anything for me either way. It was just like, oh, it's fine. Like probably wish I'd watched, uh, something else, but, um, it was fine. I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't love it. I didn't dig it a lot, but it was certainly better than the humans and certainly more enjoyable to watch than the humans. And it was also weird hovering. Oh, what's his name? Wilson Fisk, also known as Vincent D'Onofrio, as Jerry Falwell. Hi, I'm Jerry Falwell, moral majority. I'm a piece of shit, but I definitely didn't sound like Kingpin from Daredevil when I was preaching. But uh, Vincent D'Onofrio as Jerry Falwell proves that, you know, Jerry Falwell, what, what's interesting about that is the movie basically is like, yeah, Jim Baker was a grifter. <laughs> Uh, Tammy Faye was definitely the better person by a lot of the two of them, but they each had their flaws, but she was certainly much better. Uh, she certainly came off as a much more, uh, night, uh, just a better person than, than him uh, by, by a clear margin. But it's so funny in a movie featuring just so many of the mega church grifters and how they keep trying to, they grift each other too. It is, it is telling that Jerry Falwell is King, is King grift. Like he's the King scumbag. Um, and I said to, I said to the righteous girlfriend during the movie, cause I've, I've been, I, I've had some thoughts about things I want to write. I have two scripts that I'm going to write this year. Nah, they probably won't be made. I did write staff attorney in 2020, right before the pandemic. I finished writing my pilot for that. And I'm very proud of it. I think it's funny. I don't know if I wrote it a great TV script, but I do think there's a lot of funny jokes and funny scenarios in the pilot. But it's an office comedy and like it literally doesn't exist anymore. Like what I wrote does not exist. <laughs> but um, I mean, you could make that the pilot and then like everybody goes to Zoom after that. But um, the two things I want to write are this movie called Crazy Train, which is kind of like, you know, a, a, an action comedy that takes place uh, on a long distance train, sort of based on my deep, intense experience riding long distance trains in America. So that that's like something I just want to write almost as an exercise, but then maybe, maybe, maybe I end up writing like a hundred page script. That's, that's very good, but I, I have it mapped out. I have it outlined. So I'm, I'm, um, that's one script I'm going to write. And the other script is called middleman, which as you can imagine, um, it might be a semi-autobiographical movie about your favorite biracial feature act comedian, you know, hence middle of everything. Well, but, but anyway, those are the two things I want to write. But a third thing I was just thinking about and this movie, cause I, I, I said to the righteous girlfriend last night, I said, you know what, in America, I think there's really probably, and I, I'm not saying this as some conservative, uh, values person, but I was like, what do you think the percentage of Christians in this country really is? 5%? Not the people who identify. <laughs> no, no, that's like 60% or whatever the fuck it is. But how many are real Christians? How many, how many walk the walk, whether, whether that be in a, a giving spirit or in an, uh, 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 a Spartan existence or whatever, because I, this, this one other idea I had, and it's, it's a little bit loosely, it starts with, uh, if you remember me talking about Washington, who I hooked up with some, some, some Andrew Jackson's for Christmas, um, 
when I saw him, but uh, this this not homeless, but down on his luck, but very nice man who who does some odd jobs uh, near my neighborhood. Um, but I, I don't know why this was running through my head. I think maybe it also stems from the fact that I had a, a, an elementary school teacher who uh, a year or two ago, it's, time is like blurring, but I talked about it on this podcast, who was arrested for uh, child pornography, p- possessing child pornography. And I don't think it was just one of those, I have pictures. I think he was involved in one case of uh, encouraging it or something, but it's it's not good. And, you know, I've talked about religion and I've talked about church on this podcast at times. And I sometimes just both spiritually and intellectually sort of say, what, how far are people willing to go? I'm not talking about, I'm talking about self-sacrifice. I'm not talking about like violence or, or, or crazy shit like that. But I'm like, you know, there is this, like I was listening to a podcast uh, involving a, a friend and he is, I think, a church attending Christian. I don't know what denomination, but, but then mentioned, you know, uh, like a child, like child molestation and something to the effect of like, you know, at some point people need to acknowledge like in a weird way, like clearly these people are sick. Like, and that's been my stance. Like, like they are attracted to kids. Like, it's not like I murder for sport. Like I'm just that you sort of think, Oh yeah, you, this person is, you know, there is something wrong with this person. Because the, the feelings are genuine, which is, I think, part of the scary part of this. Now, these are feelings you shouldn't act on. Clearly, it's criminal to act on them, and it's bad. <laughs> Goes without saying. But then my friend on this show followed up with, like, but once you realize that, you, you basically just need to kill yourself because you, you can't exist in society. And I was like, woof, I didn't see it taking that turn. And another friend's podcast uh, interviewed somebody who was in prison who you know, talked about how prison guards would direct him um, to where like a new molester had been and they beat the shit out of them. And they'd like, like people would just beat the ever loving shit out of these people. And I know to a lot of people out there, they're going good. I've heard parents say this. I've heard they're like, yeah, fuck that. Like, fuck them. Good. That's exactly what he deserves. And I understand that instinct. And I know I'm speaking from a weird place of not having kids. So I don't maybe have that. Not that I can't understand that mindset, but in terms of uh, the visceral connection to offspring I don't have. But I just thought, I, I don't know why this was floating through my head. I was like, what about a story? What, what, would, what, would, what would a story be like if somebody was like, oh, I'm helping this homeless person. And then halfway through the movie, you learn the homeless person, like one of the reasons he's homeless is because when he was younger, he was convicted of like uh, a ch- uh, like a, like a, a pedophilic, sex offense, like something really bad. Like it has to be something bad. It can't just be like, Hey, I once like exposed myself cause I was going through some like mental issues. You know, it'd have to be something challenging. And then I go, and then that person, you know, the, the, the main character uh, ends up, you know, sort of still helping the person cause he believes in forgiveness and humanity. And then it becomes person becomes sort of ostracized for, for helping that person. Now this is, let me be clear. The person who I've mentioned in my neighborhood, who I give money to, uh, I have there is no knowledge of anything like that with this person. This is just where my mind sometimes goes when you're floating off on either comedic things or tragic things or dramatic things, just trying to think of or, or having creative ideas come to you. And I thought it would be an interesting lesson because I've always said, you know, if Jesus were here today, I don't always say this, but I have said this before. If Jesus were here today. You know, in the Bible, it's like, oh, Jesus was uh, hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes. 
Probably getting money from the tax collectors to pay the prostitutes, if you know what I mean. No, but seriously, those were like the reviled people. Like the people hated the tax collectors because they were coming and fucking taking your money for the government. And the prostitutes were like, you know, unholy, unclean women. So it was a very telling thing that Jesus would find himself with the the, the outcasts of uh, in both directions, not just the uh, po- only the poor, but anybody who society thought was a piece of shit. And I thought to myself today, who would Jesus be hanging out with? And I thought it would offend everybody, but you know, trans people, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't he be, and this isn't like a scripture based thought, but it's like, doesn't it make sense that, yeah, like trans people wouldn't, wouldn't he be like, uh, you know, oh, these, these trans sex workers are, are victims of violence and don't feel welcome in the regular world and in their community. I need to go talk to them. I need to, I need to help them. I need to help them feel loved and welcomed. Um, I'll go talk to Donald Trump because he is a fucking horrible piece of shit. Not, not Je- my words, not Jesus's words. Now, Donald Trump would then probably reject him. And then Jesus would be like, okay, well, better you, uh, <laughs> he'd say some shit like he said to Judas, like better you had never been born than what's coming for you, you traitorous piece of shit. But I feel like that would be like Trump would probably reject him. But I think Jesus would be like, I need to go speak with Trump. Because like this dude, uh, something's wrong with this dude also. Why is he so filled with hate? Is it, can I heal his insecurities? Can I make him realize that he doesn't have to be X, Y, and Z? He can be A, B, and C. And things like that. And then I also thought, well, what about, you know, because the whole point, and this is the thing that I feel gets lost because there's so many pro-death penalty Christians in this country um, that sort of what's, what's the easier thing? What's the easier thing is what I would ask because Jesus doesn't ask the easy thing of people. Uh, Okay. So we had a brief technical difficulty there. I don't know exactly where I cut off, but what I think I was saying was Jesus does not ask the easy thing. And I I don't mean to sound like a preacher. I'm speaking secularly, even though I'm somebody who goes to church, I'm not, I'm not proselytizing right now. I'm just saying you're not called to do the easy thing. And then I was going to make a humble brag about how much money I'd given to charity this year. And it was a lot. Let me put it this way. If the charitable donations I made this year were a salary, it would be my fourth highest year of comedy earnings ever. Humble brag, doing good work. You're welcome, world. Um, and, and good. Everybody who should know that who supports me know that like I'm, I'm above tithing. Like I'm going above that 10% of my earnings to charity just because I think it's you know, it feels good and it feels right to do. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not running for office or anything, but it's just like, whether it's a combination of Catholic guilt and Catholic goodness, I don't know, but it just, you know, you see, you see money in your account and you go, well, there's a lot of fucking people struggling. So food banks and cancer research and world food program and hope for Haiti and, uh, uh, ALS stuff that's scary, you know, just, well, yeah, but anyway, anyway, a lot of, and then they send you Christmas cards. So it's almost like having friends. Um, but the point is what's easier. I would ask like some, some Republican Christian, some very devout, I go, what's, what's the easier path? What would Jesus ask you to do? Hey, protect the unborn. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're a pro-life person, if you're an anti-abortion person, if you're on that path, well, that's, that's easy. If you think that's a baby, then 
what's the what's the what's the difficulty i i know it'd be more difficult obviously in if you lived in los angeles or you were a hollywood entertainer and you came out as pro-life you'd be making sacrifices then to your career but if you li- if you're in fucking um alabama at some conservative evangelical church and you're like we got to protect those babies what's the say yeah that's what everybody and 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 nobody even on the the pro-choice side then nobody's going i think we should kill babies I'm pro death of babies because they don't view it as a baby. So there's a there's a there's a there's a there's there's a difference. Nobody's it's more about the definition of baby than it is about the definition of li- of protecting life. But that if you're on that team, there's no real sacrifice. Me like I, I think we should uh, not kill innocent babies if that's how you feel. The bigger sacrifice is saying I believe that the life. I believe I'm not fit to judge the, the, the life and death of this child sex predator or this murderer or this rapist murderer. I believe only God can judge that person. That's a much more difficult position because our human nature is for vengeance, is for justice. And, you know, there, there is, a, there is a, 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 of course, a, a perfectly reasonable argument that taking the life of someone who has taken a life is uh, justice. And, 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 and victims, families deserve that, that sense of, of, of righteous revenge. That makes total sense. But I believe it was Jesus, you know, the guy Christians named themselves after who said, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe it was just some philosopher who says, but I think it was Jesus who said an eye for an eye. Well, let me look this up. An eye for an eye will just make the world blind. Who said that? Let's find out. Because maybe it wasn't Jesus. Maybe it was uh, Bo Burnham. Uh, an eye for an eye and the world goes blind. Who said it? Who said it? Nope, it was Gandhi. Ha, that is funny. Anyway, Gandhi said it. So never mind, Christians. Feel free to murder everybody. <laughs> I stand corrected. Um, oh, it was Gandhi. So I guess I'm more of a, a Jesus Gandhi type, you know. Um, oh, wait, this piece of wisdom is commonly attributed to the independence movement leader, M.K. Gandhi. Oh, MK, oh okay, M.K. Gandhi. So, so J.L. goes by J.L. instead of Jean-Louis, and all of a sudden you're M.K. Gandhi. Please get out of here. Never mind. Gandhi said it. Don't I have Christian egg on my Catholic face? Lesson still stands that Jesus came to, uh, you know, he said the, mo- the most powerful commandment was to love, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, or that's the 11th commandment he gave. But the whole, the whole gist of Jesus, if I can say, is still captured by my horrible um, lack of theology there. Gandhi, darn it, it was Gandhi, not Jesus. Um, I'm trying to keep a, a, a brave face, but but yes, that that is embarrassing. But you get the point. You get the point. So technically, it wasn't Jesus, but the, the the idea still stands because Jesus was about taking away that harshness of the Old Testament, those old laws, and that that old cold-hearted and and bringing forgiveness. Because the point is, if you don't believe it, then ignore me. But the point is, if you are a self-identifying Christian, the most powerful thing in the religion is that forgiveness and that redemption from death. That's what Easter is all about. It's about, and, and, and the idea of if God can forgive them, who are you not to? It's not to say, you know, you know we'll, we'll, we will bust out a Jesus quote here, render unto Caesar what is Caesar, Caesar and to God what is God's. This is not saying people should not be punished. This is not saying, but it is the idea of the soul of a person is beyond, is beyond, uh, 
man's ability to render judgment on. That's, that's God's province alone. If you don't believe it, so, so be it. I'm, 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 I'm not trying to convert anybody. I'm just telling you that to live in a country that, that proclaims its Christianity so, so hard and yet seems to have none of it in spirit, <laughs> it's, it's a very, it's a, it's a very perplexing and, and hypocritical, th- hypocritical thing to observe. Um, you know, a, 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 an argument for, for anti-abortion can be made. You don't have to agree with it, but I think a, a real argument can be made for that, that, that it's pot you can disagree with and you can find it a threat and, and everything. But, but the, and our, but the, the pro death penalty Christian argument is the one that I feel like has no basis in anything other than human nature. Sure. But not in Christianity. Um, <laughs> so, or Gandhi, apparently, also an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Uh, maybe Gandhi just had better bars than Jesus. I mean, Jesus had a lot of a lot of good stuff. Uh, easier for a rich man to pass, easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. And then we have it, it made me think of it while I was watching the Jim Baker, Tammy Baker movie because you see all these. It's just how are all like like. It's not to say you should struggle, but like the Joel Osteens of the world, it's just like, no, you, you shouldn't be worth $100 million. That's obscene if you weren't a Christian pastor, but it's unconscionable as, since you are. Um, it's, it's just bizarre. So my point in going through that whole theological lesson on this extra long kickoff to the to the year. Although I think this has been a good episode. We've hit on everything and I've kept it mainly to, um, you know, not too depressing. So new year, new me. Um, but I kept thinking, I was like, wouldn't forgiving or trying to help someone who had done something heinous, wouldn't that be, uh, the Christian thing to do as difficult as it might be? And the reaction would be such a showcase of, of understandable human nature, but also unchristian attitude. You know, if somebody were helping someone and then found out that they in their past had been like some sex offender, you know, what, what do you do then? Yeah, I'm just, it was just, a, it was just like a thought experiment that I thought that might make for an interesting uh, indie movie from the director of The Humans, Sven von Lorgenstern uh, uh, directed forgiveness, a deep meditative look at how far one is willing to go to live a Christian life. And is our society prepared for that? Uh, starring, uh, I don't know, some fuckface nominated for nine independent spirit awards. Three people saw it. Two of them hated it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't even know why I'm sharing that, but that was like the third script idea I had. So obviously three very different things, you know, an action comedy, an autobiographical comedy, and a disturbing uh, look at the hypocrisy of Christianity. Um, but also, uh, what would happen if somebody really did, you know, cause I, this is, this is another weird thing. I don't know why I think my mind is just always kind of racing through things. But I thought to myself, I was like, if my teacher, my former teacher gets convicted in his fucking at 70 years old of like child porn, I can't help, but, but feel very sad, of course, for the, for the, for the child. 
but also for, for this person who was beloved by so many people and was such a good teacher and nobody I know, like, like this isn't denying that this happened, but like the man worked at a school for 30 plus years and there was never a scintilla of anything. Girls, boys, everybody, just a fun, nice teacher with not a speck of dirt on him until this thing happens in his, in his like late sixties. Doesn't excuse it at all. It's a fucking heinous thing that, that he's accused of. But at the same time, I was like, I, 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 don't, I don't know why I'm going through this with you guys because I just sometimes, you know, like I said, church is often the, 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 the meditative space for me. I, I try to stay focused, but sometimes it's just a peaceful place. But you, you ruminate and reflect on the teachings and, and, and the different things you've learned in the church. And I, you know, one of those things like the, the, the visit, visit the imprisoned, you know, clothe the naked, feed the hungry. And one of those is visit the imprisoned because there's a, there's a notion of, yeah, these people have done something wrong. It's not necessarily that it doesn't say visit the wrongly imprisoned. <laughs> it says visit the imprisoned, meaning keep that humanity alive. Get, hope is an important thing, not, not to let them know that, that, that they will be free or that they won't pay for their crimes. But this idea of like, and it is, it is, it may sound crazy to you people just even hearing me talk like this, but it is this idea of, you know, I don't think enough people talk about church at its core, which is a forgiving God and a Jesus that was, that was a, a, a divine presence on earth that, provided these lessons that were undoing sort of the understandable human nature, Old Testament kind of laws and justice and was, was elevating it to this other level of like, yes, God's forgiveness is, is, is more powerful and bigger than you can comprehend. So it's not always your place to judge X, Y, and Z. And, you know, people avoid, some people will say, oh, well, you know, it's, so that's all Hitler had to do is say uh, sorry, and then he could get into heaven. And of course, that's, that's like such a, no, it, it's about a deeper spiritual cleansing, so to speak, than just like saying an oath that you don't believe. And that's what Donald Trump did when he said he would uphold the Constitution of the United States on a Bible. That was BS. That wouldn't get, that wouldn't pass, uh, heaven and St. Peter's muster. But I just, I don't know. I just, I think sometimes like, like, like I, I, in my head, I go, I, I look for information on the case sometimes. And I'm like, um, would the right thing to do or would the, the, the kind thing to do to be like, visit this dude, if he gets put in jail, visit this teacher, if he gets put in jail. Now, obviously I'm biased because I had, I have good memories of the person. So I have an extra dose of sympathy that strangers would not. And then that gets me down a wormhole of like, well, why didn't, why wouldn't I just visit some prisoners? Why wouldn't I just like the way I used to visit nursing homes when I was a kid for, for community service in middle school and high school. And, and you realized how much it meant to those old people to, to have connections and, and have people speak to them and, and listen to them and, and give them something to look forward to something to break up the monotony of their, of their, you know, older age. Cause you know, they might have relatives, but those relatives might not be able to visit all the time or might be far, you know, in a different city or state and they're doing the best they can by supplying them with assisted living. But it, it's, you know, my, my dad's last uh, year plus of his life was, was in a nursing home and it sucked. And that was with a wife who would visit him every day. 
and with, a, with two sons who would visit him at least weekly. And it sucked. So it just gets me thinking like, you know, visit the, visit the imprisoned. And I was like, should I go visit him if he gets thrown in jail? Like if, he, when he, if and when he gets convicted? And it's just a weird thought because then that gets me thinking like, oh, if somebody found out, they'd be like, how can you visit that? Like, that, I, I, I judged you wrong. How can you visit that dude? That's so gross. And then you sound like a pious cunt <laughs> when you go, uh, well, it's the Christian thing to do. Because nobody who says it's the Christian thing to do seems to ever do the Christian thing because the Christian thing to do is fucking hard. You know, the Christian thing to do would be not to give uh, a lot of money to charity. It would be give like a majority of my money to charity. Like as long as I can survive, as long as I'm living and being able to have like a decent life and not, not then, then what am I doing with any of this extra money? You know, and I, that's that's an easier one to understand. But like, you think, yeah, visiting the imprisoned, like, maybe that's why they, you know, maybe I, maybe maybe the easy way for me is like, hey, become a famous comedian, then I can do some like Johnny Cash prison shows that'll maybe make some people feel better and and feel like somebody's paying attention. And because the whole point is, redemption is 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 always available. Forgiveness is always available. If not from humans, then from God, and it's not our place to to deny that to people. That's only him with a capital H. I know this was a weird theological thing, but you know what? Sometimes I spend a half hour just thinking about how miserable my comedy career is. And other times I think about how miserable the world is and, and how I, I want to be a better part of it. But sometimes being a better part of it is, is thinking of and, and, and looking out for the, the less desirables. Um, and on the flip side of this, not to get too much into my private prayers, but every Sunday, you know, I say a prayer for my deceased relatives. Um, I say a prayer for, for some other people, uh, specifically and generally. And the other, the other, it's, it's so weird because I, I need to look up this child's name, but there was, there was an article, um, I want to say in 2020, it might've been late 2019 about a five-year-old kid who's, you know, his mother's boyfriend beat him to death. But the article was so distressing. It was, it was actually like it almost felt traumatic just reading the article. Um, because this was a five-year-old kid who basically had never known or, or very little, it seemed, of a kid's innocence and joy. And I'm reading this article. And the mother, you know, the mother is uh, impoverished. And uh, you know, she meets this guy who's like a security guard, but I guess that was stable enough money. He had a place, he had income. So it's like, oh, well, the boyfriend becomes like the lifeline. And the kid, you know, you, 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 you don't choose between, you, you should always choose your child before your boyfriend, but the boyfriend was something of a lifeline. So she allowed it to continue. And I think she testified against him in trial for a lesser sentence. Not that that, not that that wasn't the appropriate thing because the guy did, she endangered her child, but her boyfriend murdered the child and you're reading the article and you're just like, they would send him to bed without food. And then one day he saw the boy, mind you, five years old, like wearing his mom's clothing. Now, who knows what that is? Exploration or just fun? Curiosity? Doesn't matter could be a wide range of things. And the guy beat him and sent him to, you know, they denied he did this a lot, but denied him food. 
And if I'm not mistaken, I may have the sequence out of order, but when the kid, oh God, in the middle of the night, was like looking through the, his own family's garbage, his own mother and her boyfriend's garbage for something to eat. And I think that was when, when discovered, the guy beat the kid to death. And every Sunday, I just, I don't, I don't know why. I, it's, it's a weird thing. I know to anybody who's like an atheist or just agnostic or whatever, this may sound really weird, but every Sunday I say a prayer for that kid. Now that kid should need no problem. If there is a heaven, that kid should fucking be escorted in right away. Um, and I remember in a weird, like when my uncle died, it was weird because my father died a few years ago. And I remember just sort of, it, it's a weird prayer, but it, but the kid is always on my mind for like, not a Sunday goes by where I don't just say it because it, because it's, it's like, I can only imagine what the police or investigators who worked on, or the prosecutors who worked on that case and had to see photos and, and the body and, and interview these people. You know, I can't imagine continuing a job after a case like this, but I remember just, it was a weird thought, but I was like, Hey, uncle John, dad, if you're up there, find, find this kid. <laughs> it's a we. I know if, if you're not anybody with any faith, that's maybe a weird thought, but so it's not to say that when it comes to crimes and heinous crimes that I don't think about the victims, that I'm not just looking for like the, the perpetrator to be like, we must forgive. No, that the center of all these things is, is, is heinous shit. But then I have to admit the thought popped in my head where I go, but what about the guy who did it? And that's where my mind goes. Like I said, every Sunday I say a prayer for that kid, but every, every Sunday I also go, Shouldn't I be praying for that guy? As disgusting and as traumatic as just even reading this guy's actions were, shouldn't I be saying a prayer for him that he finds, that, that he seeks out forgiveness and, and changes his heart and his, his path? Yes. The answer to that is unfortunately yes. If this is the, if this is the credo you, you, you buy into, the answer is there's only one answer and that's yes. Um, and that's the difficulty thing. And that's the kind of thing after I'm done writing my action comedy and my comedy biography, the third movie I want to do to really exercise all my spiritual demons is just what would happen if somebody, you know, were doing the, the most Christian thing and Christians rejected him for doing it. <laughs> so this was quite the journey to start the year. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. I didn't fucking bitch about comedy for more than like three minutes out of, Christ Almighty, taking the Lord's name in vain is a weird thing to do after this podcast, but uh, almost 100 minutes. So I hope you made it through. This was uh, quite the whirlwind. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, give me a five star review on iTunes if you haven't already. Let's get I want to get up to like 200. If possible, I'm in the 160s, I think. But uh, yeah, hopefully you all have a have a happy new year, a healthy new year, get boosted if you ha if you're eligible and haven't. Um, let's all stay safe. And I hope to see some of you at uh, at some live shows, um, and hopefully more to, more to come, uh, the rest of this year. So thank you. And, uh, that's it. Uh, I will see you next Tuesday.